Previously, when we spoke, we, the writer had been saying, you know, there's so much about the high priesthood of Melchizedek I, I want to share with you, but you're just not able to deal with it. And then he gave some warnings and some instructions. And then he's kind of returned back. And I think he's talking more about Melchizedek uh, because one, I think he's optimistic that we'll get it. But I don't think he's given us everything because the, the readers aren't quite ready to handle it yet. They're not mature enough. And so, but he's said, okay, now I want to talk to you about Melchizedek some more. And last time, what we basically, to kind of sum it up, was that Melchizedek was a shadow uh, of, of what Christ would be and that the Melchizedek priesthood was superior to the Levitical priesthood because of priority, that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Levi hadn't even been born yet, and the greater blesses the blessing. Now he's going to turn and talk about why the Melchizedek priesthood is superior. And he's going to say basically because of effectiveness, that the Melchizedek priesthood is much more effective than the Levitical priesthood. So looking at verse 11, it says, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek? So he's saying, okay, if the Levitical priesthood was so great, then God didn't need to make another priesthood. He could have just dealt with that one. But apparently, and he's going to give us the answers why the Levitical priesthood wasn't sufficient and that's why the, uh, another priest had to arise and not be designated according to the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. So he says, when there is a change in the priesthood, there is a change in the law because the Levitical priesthood is based on the old covenant, if you will. And once that priesthood is going to be replaced, then that old covenant needs to be replaced as well. So this is one of the implications that we're no longer subject to the old law because it is a part of the Levitical priesthood and now we're a part of the Melchizedek priesthood. So he says there's a change in priesthood so now there needs to be a change in the law and he, and he goes on to say Jesus was never a part of the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah who was prophesied to be the Messiah. And so his priesthood is not going to be based on the old law, but on something else. And he says, you know, I'm not, and he said, I don't have an argument. Jesus was born to the tribe of Judah. And this is clear still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, 
who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. So Jesus' priesthood is not based on the Levitical priesthood. It's not based on the law. It's based on the fact that he has an indestructible life. He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day to always live. And so his priesthood is going to be better and greater because he doesn't die. His priesthood is not based on physical requirements, but on the fact that he is indestructible. And I'm going to talk a little bit more of that in a little while. For it is attested of him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This is important. Jesus as our high priest is not our high priest on this earth only. He will always be and forever our high priest. For the word of God has so declared it and God has sworn it so. Which again, I've, I've shared this before, and I, and I want to come back to it because it's important. So many people will say, well, you know, you really can't trust the Bible because of this and that, and it's written, and old men, and, and it's not really the Word of God. A little passage of a few verses talked about Melchizedek blessing Abraham. So short and insignificant because Abraham is the big person that we read about that it's easy to pass on. And then the writer, I believe it's David of a Psalm who the writer of Hebrews is quoting, picks up on this and doesn't say that this Melchizedek priesthood, God is going to swear and create an order based on him. And then the writer of Hebrews is helping us to understand better about this. So my answer to those who, well, it's written by a bunch of men and whatever. No, the scriptures were written by the Holy Spirit. Used men to do so. Men wouldn't say, oh, gee, here's, here's a, a strange story that we're going to pick up a few centuries later. And then another few centuries later, we'll talk about how important it is. God weaves his plan throughout the scriptures. It is the word of God. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of the former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. So this is the reason that we need a new priesthood. It doesn't matter how many times you went to the priest and how many times he entered the Holy of Holies, we were never made perfect. We were only at best made cognizant of our sinfulness and our separation from God. But it never made us strong. It never made us perfect. The law was weak. The whole point of the law was not to make us perfect, but was to teach us we needed a Savior. So the Levitical priesthood needs to pass away because it didn't do what it needs to do to make us righteous. It's useless. It makes nothing perfect. 
No matter how hard you work and try to follow all the law, you will fail. And on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. We have a better hope because we have a high priest who is there for us. And he's going to explain again why that priesthood is better. But we have a better hope because when the people came and offered sacrifices, whether it was on Passover or on the Day of Atonement or during the rest of the year, they would place their hands on the sheep or the goats and they would be slaughtered and there would be that substitutionary offering to understand that someone else is paying the price for my sin, but it never made you perfect. We now have a offering, Jesus, who suffered and died on the cross and rose again, whose sacrifice is perfect, that cleanses us from all sin, past, present, and future. What an offering. We have a better hope. It's not, gee, I hope the high priest does what he's supposed to do and doesn't mess up in the Holy of Holies. I'm I'm hoping he does the right thing. We have a high priest in Jesus that we have a better hope for that, which allows us to draw near to God, which again was God's plan. Back in Exodus, God wanted his people to climb the mountaintop and be with him. And they got afraid because of the thunder and the lightning and the cloud. And they go, Moses, you go, we'll stay here. That would have been bad enough. They should have taken the invitation and gone. But they didn't. But what did they do instead? They decided to make a golden calf and worship it. All too often, when people miss the opportunity to draw near to God, they substitute it for something worse indestructible this better hope allows us to draw near to god and inasmuch as it was not without an oath for they indeed because became priests without an oath but with an oath through the one who said to him the lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. You see, when it came to the high priest under the Levitical priesthood, it was assigned to you based on your family, based on the fact that you were a Levitical. And then the assignment came and you you took it. And then either because of your death or because of your age, You were then disqualified and somebody else had to be substituted in. You were limited by that physical requirement. Under the Melchizedek form of the priesthood, God says you are a priest forever. I swear it. And as we saw last time, first off, God swore and he can't swear to anything above than himself he's hoard on himself and it is also impossible for god to lie so he, god can't lie and then he swore it's going to so guess what it's guaranteed 
God said it, that settles it. And Jesus, because of his offering, because of his priesthood, has become the guarantee of a better covenant. You want to know whether you're saved? Jesus guarantees it. You want to know whether you can draw near to God? Jesus guarantees it. You want to know whether he's going to come again? Jesus guarantees it. Isn't it interesting that we should be satisfied with God said it? But God says, I said it, I guarantee it, and I'm going to give Jesus as a guarantee. And on top of that, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit as a pledge to show you that I mean what I say. And I think he does so because he's used to dealing with us. He's got to tell us once. He's got to tell us twice. He's got to tell us three times. He's got to tell us four times. He's got to tell us five times. And then after the fifth time, we go, what do you mean by that, Lord? And then he tells us six times and seven times. And, and then we go off and do our own thing. He knows who we are. So he does everything he can to persuade us. He's serious. Verse 23. The former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, became, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. I'm going to tell you a story. I guess it, it's called a religious fiction. Didn't happen. Not going to happen. But because... I don't think anybody in here is Jewish. And maybe somebody is listening to me is. But even if you are, it's been about 1940 years since there's been an offering done at the temple. So most people aren't familiar with the whole sacrificial system. So I'm going to tell you a story that never happened. I'm going to use... Uh, a young man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph goes to the man who's going to be the next high priest. And we'll call him Eli. Spelled like Eli, but Eli because El means God. So Eli. And he goes to Eli and says, Sir, while you are the high priest, I will serve you. When you make the sacrifices, I will wash and make sure that all the stains of the blood from the animals will be clean so that your robes will be perfectly clean. I will press them so that they are well done. I will wash them. I will do all those things to, to make sure that when you present sacrifices, that you are in the manner that you should be. I will serve you meals. I will do whatever you need to be done to make your life easier as you serve as high priest, I just have one request. And that request is, when you go on the Day of Atonement and you enter into the Holy of Holies, first to make an offering for your sins, and then you're going to leave, and then you're going to come and make an offering for the sins of the people. My request is that you say, God, be merciful to Joseph. He means well. He desires to follow you, but he understands that the heart is most desperately wicked and he seeks your mercy and forgiveness 
And so when you're asking for the sins to be forgiven of the people, I want, as Joseph, for you to mention my name as well. Now, I won't be in there, so I won't know that you do it or not. I will trust that you do it, but that's my request. And whether you do it or not, I will serve you all those years. And Eli says, okay, Joseph, I will. And Joseph dutifully serves him for several years. And every year, Eli goes and, and into the Holy of Holies and, and does. And then after several years, Eli dies. So Joseph goes, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. Because the person who is going in there to mediate for me has died. So the new guy is named Samuel. So he goes to Samuel and says, makes the same offer. And Samuel says, number one, I don't know you, Joseph, so no. And number two, I'm really scared of God, and I'm going to only be in there as short a time as I can. I'm going to go present the blood on the, the mercy seat for the, my sin, and then I'm going to go and put the mercy, blood on the mercy seat for the people, and I'm out of there. Because I've heard the stories about how high priests have died in that place. And they've had to drag them out. And so I'm not staying in there any longer than I can. But so even if I was inclined to, I'm not going to do it. And number two, I don't know you, so buzz off. Why do I tell that story? Because you have a high priest in Jesus who after he offered his blood as a sacrifice on the Holy of Holies in heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God to interpose and intercess for you. We always say, and rightfully so, and praise God that Jesus died for us because Jesus loves us. But he didn't stop there. He's sitting currently at the right hand of God and saying, yeah, when Joe screwed, my blood covers that. He's still righteous. He's still holy. Yeah, he messed up. He, that story he just told maybe wasn't quite right. My blood covers that because I'm interceding for him because he's mine. And the amazing thing is, I don't have to worry whether he's going to die or not. He has an indestructible life. I don't have to be like Eli who goes, Eli who goes, as long as he's alive, I've got it in with God. No, no, Jesus never dies. Jesus is always at the right hand of God the Father, and he is always interceding for me as my high priest. So praise God he died for me. But praise God, he is there every day, every moment saying, bless his little heart. He just doesn't know better. I'm trying to teach him. I'm trying to get somebody who understands. And I'm trying to have somebody write a book. He'll read it. And maybe he'll read the Bible better. And finally, he'll figure it out. But my blood covers his sins. And he's there for me every single day, every single moment of my life and thereafter. So when you're praying and you're wondering, well, what should I thank God for? Because I'm running out of things. When you say, yeah, thank you, God, for dying for me. Thank you, God, that Jesus intercedes for me even now. 
We, we talk about, and, and again, I don't mean to diminish this. God loves us because he died for us. But I'll let you on a little secret. If after I was saved, I became a model Christian, that'd be wonderful. And I would say, because he died for me, I'm now 100% different, but I ain't. And his blood still covers me. He still loves me. He is still faithful to me when I am faithless to him. He loves me that much. Yes, he loves me that so much that he died for me, but he loves me so much that nothing separates me from his love, not even myself. That's how great a high priest we have. He is there forever, and God has sworn it that he will be there forever, and he is a guarantee of that better hope. He is a guarantee of that better covenant. He is a guarantee that I don't have to worry that something else is going to change because he's there. He continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Notice it didn't say he is able to save forever those who draw near to him as long as they do everything right. He is able to save forever. It's his ability, not mine. He has a hold on me. It doesn't matter how hard my grip is on him because he's holding me and God is holding that and no one plucks us out of the hand of God. We are saved forever because we've drawn near to God through him. Since he always lived to make intercession for him. He is there always to intercede for us. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. I wish that were so. The scripture says so, so I guess I believe it. But when I look at who I am, I don't know if it's fitting that I have such a high priest. But praise be to God, I do. Because he is who he is, not because I am who I am. So I'll chase this rabbit real quick. The story is not about you and me. The story is about him. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy. You see, the Levitical priests just got there because they were, it was their turn and it was their genetics. But he's holy. He's innocent. He's just not sinless. He's innocent. He's not just not guilty. He's innocent. He's undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Who does not need daily like these, those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Again, under the Day of Atonement, 
It was they would offer, they would sacrifice a sheep, go in and place blood on the mercy seat to offer sacrifices of sin for himself so that then he could come back and offer sacrifices for sins for the people. He had to go there twice, one for himself, once for everybody else. The word of God says Jesus didn't need to go in once for himself because he's holy, innocent, undefiled, separated, exalted. So when he offered his blood, he offered it not for himself, but for us. He didn't have to go there daily. Didn't have to go there annually, once for all. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came from after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Why can I trust God? Because he appointed Jesus, swore an oath, and confirmed that Jesus is my high priest. That he offered his blood for me and for you. And didn't stop there. He continues to intercede for us. Oh, um, isn't it wonderful? God loves you. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus died for you. Isn't it amazing that he rose from the dead? Isn't it awesome that he's our high priest? Isn't it hard to understand that he intercedes for me even when I mess up so bad? That's the average Christian's response. Our lives should be different. When we die, they should not be able to wipe the smile off our face because we are going to a place that loves us so much that not only did he die for us, he intercedes for us daily by minute by minute. We think it's wonderful that when we come to a church that it's warm and inclusive and they're not a bunch of cliques and they ignore us. Wait till we get to heaven. Because it says, Jesus said, there is more rejoicing happening over the one sinner who repents. What a party in heaven that will be. And I hope our lives aren't such that when we get there, everybody around will say, I didn't know you were invited. You never looked like you cared. I never heard you once say, praise God. I never once heard you say, amen. 
I never once heard you like the gentleman I talked about, happy and ecstatic that God loved him. And he decided that since God loved him, he's going to love other people. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Praise him for his marvelous works. And one of those are, yes, he's Lord, and yes, he's King, and yes, he's Savior, and yes, he presents the word of God, but yes, and amen, and hallelujah, he is my high priest, and all God's people said. 